Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I'm looking forward to the next couple of months and getting back into the swing of things with this podcast. I want to thank you guys, the listeners, for all of the support that you've given my podcast over the years. It's hard to believe that I started this in February of 2015. Uh, It's been a great journey and I look forward to uh, getting more information to you guys. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com and remind you guys that the Black Friday sale actually is starting early on November 12th. There's tons of great gear that's 60% off at the Go Hunt gear shop. Go to GoHunt.com. Also, remember with this Black Friday sale, when you sign up for Insider, you're going to get $100 off to spend at the Go Hunt gear shop. That's just when you sign up for Insider. If you want the Explorer, you get $50 to spend in the Go Hunt gear shop. Go to GoHunt.com. Use the J. Scott promo code. Uh, Guys, I want to thank Go Hunt for their sponsorship. I want to thank you guys for supporting Go Hunt. Uh, They've been a a loyal supporter of mine from the beginning, so go check them out. I also want to thank Kuyu.com. Kuyu is the ultralight hunting gear that I've been wearing since 2010. Uh, Great ultralight hunting gear. Uh, They've got three camo patterns from the Velo to the Verde to the Vias. Uh, they've got packs. They've got all sorts of great lightweight gear. Go to Kuyu.com to order. It's a direct-to-consumer website. You can go to Kuyu.com to order the gear there. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott23 promo code for a 10% discount. Phonescope is the digiscoping device that I use on my iPhone uh, to capture some of the videos and photos that you see on my Instagram account. And then I'd also like to thank Lathrop and Sons and remind you that they're doing a mountain hunt boot giveaway and a custom synergy footbed giveaway all you have to do to enter is go to lathropandsons.com click on the link there to enter into the giveaway and you can be entered into that drawing give james and steven a call if you want to discuss and talk to them about their three boots they basically have the encompass the mountain hunter and the elite boot plus their custom synergy footbeds i've been wearing them uh, now for over a year and just absolutely love their boots you there's two ways to get hold of them boots at lathropandsons.com or you can call them directly call james call steven directly they're two brothers 618-544 8782. Guys, let's get right to these episodes. If you'd like to send me a message, you can go to my Instagram account, which is at jscottoutdoors. You can send me an email, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. God bless and thanks for your support. Phil, we have a bunch of questions from an Instagram uh, follower and podcast listener with a December tag. Uh, coming up, and I believe it starts this Friday. And one of the things about uh, these December tags, I think, over the other seasons, is you actually get a pretty good chunk uh, of time to hunt those deer. Uh, you know, from from basically, I believe it's like the seventh or the eleventh uh, is the opener, um, give or take a few, uh, to the thirty-first of December. So it's actually a season where Um, You know, compared to the October hunts and some of the November hunts where, you know, maybe you get five days, maybe you get nine days. This is actually, you know, covers several weekends 
uh, and it's going to give uh, you know the guys that have these tags uh, in essence three weekends um, to, to hunt these deer even if you know they don't take any time off during the week so it's a pretty special hunt wouldn't you agree it is for sure jay and uh, you know not only the time uh, that you are allowed to hunt but also there's less tags um, compared to the earlier hunts the weather's typically quite a bit cooler um, and you know you, you start to get into the holiday season where a lot of guys even if they have a, a really crazy work schedule they might be able to take a little bit more time off than they normally would so you combine all of those things together and it, it makes it a, a really sought after hunt uh, in my opinion yeah and i mean it's always been known as quote unquote the rut hunt and you know, while I feel like the last five to seven days of the hunt, you definitely are probably going to see some rutting activity. Um, you know, compared to the deer that we see rutting down in January, which is a lot has a lot more consistency to it. You know, it, it is a rut time frame hunt, so to speak. Uh, I think some years are better than others. We're going to get into some of that here with some of the questions. Um, but you know, for anybody out there. From, a, from just a standpoint of having quite a bit of time and it's the longest season and the fact that normally this season it's cooler temperatures and you throw in the you know the last five days say you know you might see some bucks um, nosing around and chasing does um, it just it, it's a great tag it's probably the best season um, for general people that are you know just hunting coos deer um, I think it's probably the best season for them because you get a little bit more deer activity because of cooler temperatures compared to, say, October or November. Although we've had podcasts where we've talked about, you know, those first October hunts where you've been able to scout them through the velvet season, scout them all through October and, and be able to, you know, pinpoint and know exactly where those deer are. There is something to be said for that. Uh, but it always seems like if you get, you know, either a full moon and or hot temperatures, you get very, very little movement compared to, say, this hunt coming up where, um, you know, you're going to get those colder mornings where it's in the high 20s, low 30s, and you're going to get some deer on their feet. So um, let's dive in, Phil, uh, and, and try and cover as many of these questions um, as we can. So a question that, that I would like to cover um that, that kind of comes up when we're discussing that is, so what do you do if you're going into this weekend and let's say you don't have a specific buck pattern or targeted, you're just going into good country and you're going to try and glass them up and, you know, try and figure out what they're doing. One thing I would tell you with dark moon, um, I would be very, very, um, critical in my planning in making sure that I'm to my glassing point, and not that it goes lax when it's a full moon, but I certainly think primetime glassing is important. Those first couple hours uh, of the morning and first, you know, last couple hours of the evening become super important because I think you are going to get some deer with little cooler temperatures, moisture on the ground, actually up feeding and standing on their feet longer. And so make sure you are in position as a hunter um, you know, walking with the headlamp, sitting at your glassing point, obviously with the headlamp off, um, and, and be ready and be, you know, be in position 
uh, and try and take advantage of potentially what's going to happen. And what's going to happen, I think, is there, there's going to be deer on their feet. I think they're going to be on their feet right away. Uh, and I think you're going to be able to see deer that maybe, you know, a week ago you wouldn't see because they're in their, you know, dry pattern of, you know, just barely moving up, feeding very, very short period of time and then down, you know, down, bedded back down. Um, so that would be one thing I would say is really take advantage of your primetime glassing sessions, first hour and first couple hours and last couple hours. I agree a hundred percent and I'll, I'll even take it another step further. And I think given this change in the weather, I think some of the bucks that, that might not come out until later in the year and really come out of their thick, nasty stuff might be on their feet. Um, they might be coming out and, and feeling a little frisky and, and doing a little moving and, um, you know, taking advantage of the change. And I, I think that's going to happen. And I think that puts, especially that first couple hours in the morning before that sun peaks and, and as soon as it starts to climb up and cook that magic hour when the, when the sun's just lighting everything up for you. I think you got to take advantage of it, especially if you only have one week to hunt. Yeah, for sure. And a uh, question here, he asks, you know, which slopes should I be looking at? Does the weather coming in change that? Does the moon change that? So I would personally, um, you know, and Phil, you can weigh in, but personally, I'm still going to be glassing. I want to focus on where is the afternoon shade? So where is the predominant afternoon shade on the mountainside? And I know that because of the pattern for the last couple of months, as hot and dry as it's been, uh, they are very keen, and I say they, bucks and does, but especially bucks, are very keen on uh, those areas that are predominantly shaded in the afternoon. So it is no surprise to me to know that if I'm looking at a mountain, whichever face of the mountain I'm looking at, I'm going to be looking for, okay, even if it's just cracking daylight, I'm going to be aware of, or in my Google Earth scouting or, or whatever I'm using, I'm going to be looking for those little cuts. I'm going to be looking for those thicker patches of trees where potentially they can go and get some afternoon shade to lay down. Now, we've talked about this, and you know I feel like I've drove it home and drove it home, but I continue to get questions about it, so we might as well cover it again. In my opinion, the north the northeast the east facing slopes the most shaded slopes of the afternoon are gonna hold more deer certainly in my opinion they're gonna hold more mature deer I think I covered this either with you or with Creed um, on another podcast that doesn't mean you can't look at a south facing slope but if you're looking at a south facing slope there's still little cuts and divots within that face that you can find that you can say, well, I know at three o'clock in the afternoon, that little cut is going to be shaded. So all morning long, I'm going to kind of be watching for deer to move from point A to point B and point B being that shaded cut. So I'm expecting deer to be transitioning from that morning sun and, you know, you know, first couple hours of feeding, I am looking in those shaded pockets or potentially what's going to be shaded uh, in the afternoon for deer to be coming in there to bed. It, I mean, so many times at, you know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning, I catch deer rolling right into a pocket that I've already anticipated. That's where the deer and that's where the mature bucks are going to be laying down because that is the shadiest spot on that aspect of slope. Your thoughts, Phil? 
I agree, Jay. And and the other thing that I've found, especially on dark moons, they're not doing a lot of, of movement, you know, at night. So wherever they're going to end up in that afternoon, most of the time, they're not going to travel a long ways from wherever they end up that afternoon to where they're going to be at first light. So I think you nailed it on the head. You have to find those spots, those dark, shady spots, those spots that are going to get more shade throughout the afternoon than the other spots. And nine times out of ten, I've found they will be somewhere near that at first light. They might move out into the open a little more, but they're going to go back to it. And when they're not moving at night, they're going to be right there almost every time the next morning. So it's good to remember that as you go in and set up, especially at first light on where you're going to be looking. We've got the question here, what time do we need to be looking into the shade? And I go back to my first, you know, first hour of glassing. Uh, it, it, let's say first 30 minutes of glassing is relatively a quick pace. I'm more in a scanning mode. I'm more in looking for places that just draw to my eye. When I, I, I look with my naked eye and I look for saddles and look for open spots and just look for obvious places where if I were to put my binos there and if a deer was standing there, I'd immediately pick them up. And then as the morning transitions, that's where I start to slow down more, start to then really go into, okay, where are the afternoon shade pockets? Where are those deer going to be transitioning into? Um, and, you know, the question of what time do I start looking into those shade pockets? Well, it's kind of a, it's kind of a complex question because we've all seen situations where, you know, it's 30 minutes into light and all of a sudden because of the warmth, you if it's really cold, they're going to be in the sun and in the sunnier spots longer. But let's say that the temps, you know, warm back up. I've seen it where 15, 20, 30 minutes, they're already moving into a shaded area. Now, that might not be the afternoon predominant shade. It might just be on the one side of a thick grove of trees, and they're going to feed there for a little bit, and then they'll make a you know, 100 or 200 yard walk to their afternoon bedding spot. So I like to pan the open sunny areas and, and pan quickly. Then as the morning progresses, I like to then transition into what's shaded right now. Start looking at those shade pockets. All in the back of my mind, keeping where are the afternoon predominant shade pockets. But wouldn't you agree that there's times you can catch bucks fill you know 30 minutes after light and it may only be you know 38 degrees but the sun is beating on them they're already working their way to a small little cut where they can get a little bit of shade for maybe another hour and then then they have to make their 50 to 100 yard move or or 200 yard move to their predominant shade oh for sure for sure and a lot of times that might be over a ridge you know um i, I don't know how many times i've caught the bucks at first light you know, big mature bucks, especially where they might be on, say, the south facing slope, but fairly near the top. And they might feed there till that sun starts to peek over. And they're not on that open slope very long. And they're going to be right back over into the thick stuff or the north side of the ridge. Um, you know, obviously, there's always exceptions to the rule. But as we talk in general, I think that's a really good point that you can't really set a, a specific time that says, OK, I have to turn and start picking apart that shade. I think you have to let the circumstances dictate when you do that, but I think you have to kind of glass it all. And like you said, hit the easy spots fast and then start picking it up and picking country apart, spending more time 
as the day goes on and it gets a little bit lighter. And I think I think I I also kind of internalize when I'm sitting there and and I'm sitting in the sun and I'm glassing and the sun's hitting on me and I start shedding layers, that's when I know when when it starts getting from what you know, obviously it depends on how many jackets and layers I have on, but if, if you start feeling a warm sun on your face and a warm sun on your body, you can bet that those deer are feeling it. So just kind of transition. When you start feeling it warm, that means that maybe you're going to focus less on the bright sunny spots and where the sun is really hitting to where are the little, little tiny minute cuts and in little shade pockets and start really pounding and lasering in with your eyes in those shady spots. I, I think you'll uh, find more deer. Um, and guys, uh, I apologize if you hear a little bit of road, road noise. Uh, I was all set up to do the podcast and then the um, guy that comes and trims all my bushes and helps me with my irrigation and stuff came and was blowing and stuff. So I had to go down um, here mobily and do this podcast. Uh, let's see. Will the bucks still be together? Um, Phil. All right. There's a good chance they will be, yes. Um, A lot of times the older mature bucks, like the really big ones, they'll go and be by themselves very soon after they shed their velvet. However, I've also seen them hang out with with immature, um, less dominant deer throughout the year until it's right before rut time. What I normally see, though, is around the end of November, first part of January, they start breaking apart. But you it's mean not uh, first part of December, you mean? First part of December, yes, yep. sorry. But it's not uncommon for the first couple of weeks of December to see groups of bucks. Usually, they're going to be smaller, um, less dominant bucks that are still running together, though. One thing you said there, Phil, that I want to make sure and point out for the people listening is... I, I couldn't agree more with the fact that I rarely see big mature bucks together this time of year. If it's you know if you're seeing if you see two or three little fork and horn kind of small immature young deer, I cannot tell you how many times I've kept glassing and picking apart and boom, all of a sudden I glass up right there bedded with them as a really good mature buck. So just because you see an immature buck, make sure you spend a little bit of time around there and make sure that there's not a big buck waiting or, excuse me, bedded right there. Because a lot of times they use those younger bucks uh, to, you know, be alert for them. And they kind of just sit there and chew their cud and watch those smaller bucks. And when those smaller bucks perk their ears up, those big bucks just lay there and watch them. And a lot of times I've seen where people come walking up a ridge and mature, the immature bucks, you know, take off bounding off two or three of them. And that big buck just lays right there. I've seen it. I've had it happen to myself where, you know, a lot of times you can walk 15 or 20 yards from a big mature buck. They feel, I think, instinctually, they feel like by, by laying and and staying down they feel more hidden and they feel safer by then just running out across an open hillside and i you know i think that's something when you're glassing make sure if you see some small bucks that you've exhausted all around laying down in those prime spots um are it's it's so often that you'll find a big mature buck now with that being said curious your thoughts phil I just don't see mature deer, you know, you'll hear guys, oh, there were three giants laying next to each other. This time of year, I I, I rarely, rarely, rarely see that. I, I've, I've 
I don't know if I've ever seen it, Jay, to be honest with you. While you were talking, I was trying to think about it. And I don't know if I've ever seen it. Now, on the flip side, I can tell you, um, you know, with my time in Arizona and my time in Mexico and even on trail cameras, it is very common to see a big mature buck with a smaller, I'd call it immature buck or, uh, you know, an adolescent type of buck. Um, and I think you nailed it. They, I think they use those for their alert system, basically. Um, you know, and there's a little bit of something to be said that there's safety in numbers for them. I've also seen it in exactly what you said, where the big buck will just lay there. And I think they, in their mind, think they're hidden. I haven't been seen. There's no danger to me. I'm going to stay right here. If I jump up and run, who knows what will happen. That Those are all really, really good points. And, and I think a guy has to remember that. I think if all you're seeing is groups of smaller young bucks and there's just absolutely no you're not able to pick up any of the big ones i think it might be time to move and get a little bit rougher country or thicker country um you know and that changes i think as the year progresses and it gets closer to the rut as well for sure uh question here even if it's the start of the rut in the last week is nine to four still prime time well no, I would all I would argue that, you know, prime time for coups is always the first couple of hours in the morning and the last couple of hours in the morning. If you look at the moon, it's going to be really full that last week. So that's where those deer are going to be on their feet a lot at night. That's where I do start getting that middle of the day, but more specifically like more 11 to 2. So, I mean, if I were kind of trying to break up my day and let's just say that I, you know, wanted to catch a 30-minute cat nap, I would probably glass the prime, you know, starting at first light and expect it to kind of be slow in that last um, last week because of the full moon unless you've got a buck chasing does um, and glass for a couple hours and then maybe expect kind of a lull between that, say, 9.30 and 10.30 kind of time frame. And then really expect them to not move a ton between 9 and 1 or, or, or excuse me, 11 and 1 or 11 and 2. But certainly be glassing in those shade pockets for deer that have stood up. They're kind of going to feed for maybe two or three or four minutes and then lay back down and reposition for the afternoon. I think that's a, a you've got to watch those moon phases. It seems like on dark moon, they're moving between, you know, the first couple hours and the last couple hours and not a lot during the day. And then during a full moon time, it seems like they're not quite as active at first light. Then they've got a little bit of activity, then they lay, then between that 11 and 1, 11 and 2, I've seen a lot of deer on their feet, especially in the shade pockets. And then it seems like those last couple of hours of the evening in a full moon time frame can be a little disappointing and lackluster. Phil? Uh, I, I agree for almost all of that. The one thing I will say, if you're hunting near water or sitting water, I've had more activity, um, even in Arizona, from that 10 to 2 time frame. That seems to be like a, a really good time for them to come get a drink. And, and I, I think that's just because they're, the winds have stabilized. In other words, the thermals of everything stabilized. The winds blow in a predominant direction. And they feel safer at that point to go ahead and go in because they, they know instinctively when they go to water, they're the most vulnerable to predators. So 
I think that's one thing to keep in mind. But what you said about with a full moon that first hour and the last hour of each day, I've, I don't know how many times I've seen deer just stay bedded down or never even get up. And then once the sun gets up a little bit, it's almost like they, they know they need to move and find a different spot to bed and they'll go do that, maybe feed a little bit. So you have a little bit of activity, you know, an hour or so after the sun comes up, they typically will bed and you might not have anything going on until around that 11 to noon, somewhere in there. And, nine times i won't say nine times out of ten but a lot of the times then they'll get up and reposition and find a little bit better shade or stretch their legs grab another little bite to eat and then lay back down so as the moon phases change i think the times of activity change and the times that you really should be focusing on change um if it's a full moon a lot of times you know, I just won't put a lot of effort into that first hour of light and the last hour of light. I'll put more effort into the, like the early morning, mid morning stuff. And then, uh, also the, the, I'd say early afternoon stuff than I would any other time during the day. A question here. Does the temperature matter, uh, when we should expect to see deer? I would say one thing to think about with coos deer, and I see it in January a lot, is when the temperatures get really cold overnight. So if over the next three weeks, so during this December hunt, if for whatever reason we get uh, a cold snap that comes in, I think that's a great thing for any coos deer hunter to just be like, yes, we've got a good cold snap. It's gonna The temperatures are going to cool off because what that is going to mean is you're going to have more movement. Um, I've seen it so much where you get cold snaps come in and they have more daylight, more moving during the day. The one thing you have to keep in mind, and I've seen it so many times where you think, man, it's, you know, in the low 20s and it's, there's, there's frost on the quad seat. You know, the, the water bottles, uh, you know, outside the camp are, you know, half frozen or frozen. Um, I've seen it where that first hour to hour and a half where you would expect and, you know, you've, you've grown up watching you know midwest whitetail shows where they're like cold you know that's what they want coos deer in my opinion are the opposite if it's really cold if it's in the 20s even the low 30s and it's it's a sharp you know cold snap in my opinion that's when like the 8:30 to 9 range when you actually are glassing and finally you feel the sun where you're not cold and you kind of feel it starting to warm all of a sudden it seems like just deer just start popping up all over. So in other words, in my opinion, the, the coos deer, their hide is so thin that they can conserve their energy and stay warmer by, by laying down rather than getting on their feet. And so they choose to actually bed down and stay bedded. Uh, in those cold snaps so don't be disappointed if you get to a spot and you know it's you know frosty and and you know you, you literally have frost on your qu a quad seat and you get there and for the first hour you see no deer that's very very common I would not be like moving spots I would wait till you get your morning movement you know that 8 30 9 o'clock tons of movement when the sun finally warms them up um, fill your thoughts Agreed, Jay. I, I really don't even have anything to add to that. I mean, I've seen it time and time again where it's cold in the morning, and, and I call them the princess deer uh, because they don't like it too cold. They don't like it too hot. They kind of like just that right temperature. And, um, you know, when it when it's cold, they don't 
get up and move much. I mean, they'll be sitting there conserving their energy, trying to stay warm. Once that sun gets up, he starts kind of seeing that steam come off of the ground and things start to thaw out a little bit. That's typically when you'll see deer start to get up and move around. Uh, question here, what week should we start hunting does? <laughs> I'll let you run with that one. Well, that in Arizona, um, a lot of the running's not going to happen until you get into January and later January at that. That being said, if you're finding a bunch of does, it's always good to keep an eye on them and check them once every couple days. What you'll normally see is a group of smaller bucks or a couple smaller bucks start to come in and, and move the does around and harass them. You can tell the does want nothing to do with them, so it's just not time yet. But once you see that, then it becomes more important to keep a closer eye on them and, and check them a little more frequently. Um, that means it's starting to get a little close, and you never know when one of those does might come in and a big buck slip in and, and uh, try and, and get his breeding done. So... You know, in Arizona, I don't put a lot of faith into it, um, but I do keep an eye on them. And like I said, once I start to see the little bucks start harassing, then I start checking them a little more frequently. Yeah, and something to add to that, um, every year this first weekend, I get reports, people send me messages on Instagram, they're rutting, the deer are rutting. Well, what you're seeing, in my opinion, and I, you know, I'll, I'll probably get a few messages, I saw a big buck rutting, you don't know what you're talking about, but what you... What you are seeing are the young deer, the young bucks, trying to, it's the only time, the early season and the postseason of rut, that they actually get to act like the man, and they actually get to exhibit some of those um, body behaviors and kind of go through the rhythms of what they've seen the mature bucks do. And so you'll get those, you know, 60 and 70 and 80 and even 90 inch bucks chasing and kind of nosing with those. And, you know, I'll get every first weekend of this December hunt, I'll get a message. I had a buck with his nose to the ground running does. And I'm like, you know, tell me about him. Oh, he is, you know, a three by three. Well, you know, yeah, it's very common to have immature bucks, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s bucks kind of trying to act and portray those um, running behaviors. Um, you know, I've yet to have anyone say, yeah, I saw a doe stand, I saw a buck come, and I saw a buck mount. And that's not to be expected for at least another couple of weeks. Now, one thing, I'm kind of jumping around here, but the guys that have the tags in the further north, so some of the 6As and the 23s and 6Bs and 8 Unit 8, some of that stuff where you've got tags in higher elevations and even like the upper parts of 27 where you're higher in elevation or higher in um, geography, if you will, it's common that the further south you go, the longer, the, the later the rut is. So... Some of you 6A guys that are in central Arizona, about as far north as Coos Deer will get, I, I am not telling you that, you know, you're likely to see more rutting activity than someone that has a 36C tag that's down on the border or someone that has a 34A tag. So keep that in mind. Everything we're saying, the further north you go, the, the sooner the rut will be. The further south you go, the later the rut will be and phil we even see this when we extend that range down into mexico some of my ranches along the arizona border and and some of what i would call the mountain ranches i i'm texting you saying i'm seeing all kinds of rutting and then your ranches that are further down more 
south than my ranches, um, a lot of times your rutting is a good, you know, couple weeks sometimes behind mine. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Um, how long, wait, how much should we move? I think that just totally depends on either A, how much you've scouted, and if are you looking for a target buck. If you're looking for a target buck, you don't move. You stay camped on him. That buck is going to be there over the next two weeks. He's never moved. You just have to find him on his feet. That doesn't mean you can't change positions and try and look in at a different angle or have your hunting partner cross-glassing on another point across from you looking in below you, you're looking in below him. Uh, but if you're not seeing activity and you're not finding bucks i mean i'm gonna move it's 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 a hard question to answer but i'm gonna let what i'm seeing dictate whether i move or not if i'm in really really good country and i've got really good vantage and i can see lots of good country i'm gonna really work it over i'm gonna you know give it give it you know maybe hours i'm gonna give it maybe days i'm gonna maybe give it weeks it depends on you know, what I know, what kind of sign I've seen at the water holes, you know, what kind of track I'm seeing. Um, and then, but, you know, if, if I've pounded a country out for, say, six hours in the morning and, you know, I literally haven't seen a deer and it just doesn't feel right, I, I mean, I'm one of the first guys that'll tell you I'll just move and, ch- and just to- totally change it up. I'm curious your thoughts, Phil. Well, there's there's a lot of variables to that question, as you kind of touched on. Um, that being said, as a general rule, in the these later hunts, the the later December hunts and and on in to January, I move considerably more than I do any other time of the year. Um, on the early hunts, I've been known to sit in the exact same spot and look at the exact same hillside for days and weeks at a time until I find the buck that I know is there. And these later hunts, I won't do that typically. It might be only moving 100 yards and getting a completely different vantage, but I spend my time moving more on these later hunts and less time sitting in one area. And that's just simply for the fact that the weather's cooler, there's less people out in the woods, and I believe the deer are going to be moving a little bit more than the early hunts. They might only be moving 100 yards, but they're going to be on their feet longer duration is what I mean. So I think as a general rule, you should move more in these later hunts if you're not seeing what you're wanting than you would as an early hunt, just as a general rule. Um, says, we are hunting southeast Arizona. What vegetation should we look for? Um, that's basically the same thing you would look for in the early hunts. The, the hunt hasn't necessarily changed that much. I might change a little bit from, you know, an acorn type um, looking area to more of, say, like a, a leafy, whether it be uh, mountain mahogany, buckbrush, um, even into Ocotillo country. Um, I think you need to concentrate more on the area that you're you're finding cover than you are per se finding feed. And I think they will go out and and get the feed more readily than they will go leave cover. So I I think it depends on the cover that your type of, or the country that your type, your type of country, excuse me, that you're hunting and you need to concentrate on cover. But they have the three things that they always need, the cover, the water, and the feed. So if you can get a combination of that, you're golden. Um, In southeastern Arizona, 
me personally, I would still be hunting the, the thicker vegetation, um, not so much the yellow rolling grassland. Um, I'd either be low down in the thicker flats or I'd be up a little higher, deeper canyons where I'm still trying to pick apart the country that's providing them a little more cover. Yeah, and I think, um, Phil, I've done several podcasts with Dwayne Adams, and he kind of hits on don't hit, don't hunt the middle country because everybody hunts the middle country. Everybody hunts the pretty rolling yellow grass, mesquite, um, you know, oak-looking, beautiful middle country. And, you know, he talks about being just like that, talks about being, you know, in the desert or, or up a little bit higher in the thicker country. And, you know, he's had years and years, you know, 40-some years of success um, you know, of, of doing what he's doing. So keep that in mind. I mean, certainly I think I'm always trying to find those spots, um, where you don't have people all around you. I'd rather find, you know, one big buck than 10, uh, you know, medium bucks. I'd rather look at one big and find one big giant mature deer than, than find it. You know, I don't need to see deer to, to be successful. Um, I'm looking for, a big big deer and a lot of times those places are hard to get to and a lot of times those uh, places are not easy to hunt and so that kind of might help you in what you're you know trying to decide to hunt uh, if we're seeing does should we stay put or move to bigger deeper darker canyons i think that goes within the three week period of the hunt obviously like phil says as the hunt rolls on and you do get closer to the end of the month pay a lot more attention to those does and quite honestly i'm always paying attention to where the does are because phil made a great point that you always want to come back and just check that doe group because they don't move very much you can always come back and check and and as the hunt progresses uh you can come back and you're like i know there's you know six or eight does on that hillside and you know it's the 27th of December and you sit down to glass and you're like boom there's a big buck right there with those does so um, but normally uh, without the rut going those those bucks are going to be in different spots than the does but there is a time right towards the end of December where those bucks all of a sudden you start seeing more bucks whether it be immature bucks or mature bucks you start seeing more bucks uh, in that in the areas where the does are uh, Jay, I, I think there's one caveat to that, and we're seeing it this year, and a lot of it's going to depend on what happens with the storm that's rolling in. Water is so scarce this year, I've noticed that the bucks and the does are, are basically habitating in the same spot. They're, they're they not have moving, to, right? Say. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're basically all piled up within a mile of the water source. So I think this year might be the exception to the rule. Just because you're seeing those doesn't necessarily mean you need to move. You might need to move just to get a different vantage point. But I would be willing to bet if the water's there and we don't get a bunch of moisture here in this first week, the bucks are going to be somewhere close to. So keep that in mind on this year. Yeah, and he asked a question here about, you know, how much moisture is going to spread these deer out. Well, in my opinion, it's initially not going to do anything to the deer. What will happen is because if, if, let's say we get a half an inch of rain to an inch of rain, in my opinion, that's going to puddle water up uh, in, in the bottom of the creek bottoms and in the bottom of the draws, and it's going to allow those deer to not have to go to that water source where they've been traveling for the last several months since since the last rain. So... As 
several weeks go by and deer start to be able to move and expand their range, I definitely think if we get a good half an inch to an inch, certainly an inch, if we get a good inch of rain, in my opinion, it is going to spread the deer out and hunting around and focusing around water is not going to be as effective as maybe it was if it didn't rain. Um, and that's going to be good for the deer. It might be uh, a little tougher for the hunters because it might spread them out. But I think we need it. We need at least a half an inch of rain for that to even happen. Your thoughts, Phil? Well, Jay, I've, I've been watching um, the weather really close down where I, our ranches are in Mexico. But I will say I'm not just watching the percentage of the chance of moisture. How what I'm quick watching it's coming. for is how quick it's coming. Exactly. Right. If it comes an inch over the span of three days, I'm not that worried about it. If it comes an inch in the span of three hours, I'm extremely worried about it. Because it's going to puddle water, right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. So what I always tell people is try and pay attention on your way in. If, if you're driving and you're noticing there's little puddles in the ruts of the road or uh, the rocks are starting to catch water, that's when the deer and I'm talking about this first initial couple of storms that we might get. That's when the deer quit going to the water or going as much. Some deer always do it out of habit. Other deer do it just to basically get with other deer, but they don't have to rely on that water source. So the first couple of storms you get, it doesn't necessarily mean the deer are going to move or expand their range. That typically happens after a couple weeks of moisture that they can count on. But what it does do, and you nailed it, is it does not force them to go to the one and only water source because now all they have to do is go and bend their head over and get a drink out of the top of that rock. So that's something to keep in mind. It's something we need very much, but it's also something like on my ranch down in Mexico that I don't want right now. Like I, I don't mind knocking down the dust, but I do not want puddling rains to come. The country needs it, but you know, us as hunters that are counting on water sources don't necessarily need it. If you have an Arizona tag and we get a couple storms, I don't think it's that big a deal. I think it's actually going to help the deer movement. And I think the deer aren't going to change their behavior that much as far as going to water. You nailed it. If it starts to puddle, they're not going to have to go to the water. And that's when you need to start looking more um, without relying on that water source. Yep. A uh, question, does your opinion on the 15 power Swarovski binoculars change when they are moving more? No. Um, you know, you could switch to a 10 or 12, uh, but I would tell you that, you know, you're probably not going to see enough movement in December to have to switch to a 10 or 12 to kind of keep your eye on things. I'm still in the peak of the rut in January, which is, you know, when we try and target our guided hunts. Uh, I still, 15 power is what I lean on the most. Um, you know, certainly if you get into some tight country where, you know, you're glassing stuff at, you know, four to 800 yards away, not bad to have your 10s or 12 that you have on your chest binocular also have where you can adapt them and put them up on a tripod and, you know, bang around a little bit, looking close in your 10 powers, your 12 powers. Uh, but overall, I think coos deer glassing, the 15s uh, are very, very hard to beat. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that uh, that's kind of my standby. That doesn't mean it's for everybody. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's what I'm going to go with. I know Dar uh, is adamant about the 15 powers for coos. Um, so that, that's what I'm going to say. I'm not going to, you know, if, if they start rutting 
Um, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm going to only take my 10s today because the deer are really rutting. That's just not something I'm going to use my 15s most of the time. Yeah, for sure. I I don't think movement can dictate the power of binocular you need to use. I think the distance and I think, the, you know, sometimes the types of vegetation, if you just need a little bit bigger field of view, but that's only if you're real close. Um, I, I don't think I would ever switch to my 10s on the tripod unless I'm just, you know, a couple hundred yards across a canyon looking. Uh, definitely not movement-based. Yep. Here's the last question. When would you start using your twins uh, time of day-wise? So he's talking about the twins, uh, talking about the twin Swarovski spotters. Um, so I use the 25 by 50 eyepieces with the 65 millimeter objective. And a, a lot of times I use that when I've got a particular knob where I'm up and can look a long ways and have, you know, maybe not a series of ridges that are, you know, 800 to say 1500 yards away, maybe where I'm up on a cone knob and I need to be able to look at, you know, let's say a mile and further. Um, the other thing that I really like to use the twins are afternoon glassing where I'm really looking into those shade pockets and really trying to slow down and pick apart move or uh, bedded deer, picking apart, you know, the tail flick, the eye flick, uh, the nose twitch, the ear flick, uh, you know, maybe the head of the antler just shaking their head a little bit or maybe just the tines sticking out. Um, the real detailed glassing, uh, that's when, the, to me, the, the twins shine, um, looking in, in very detailed, fine glassing. Uh, but I, I also would say, I, you know, that's a specialty glass, and I think you can do almost just as much damage with the 15 powers uh, and, and, a, and a good tripod and a good setup. Now, again, just to reiterate, if, if you know, you're new listening to this podcast, in the morning, glassing coos deer, I'm going to try and utilize the sun at my back. I'm going to try and utilize the sun shining on the hills, and I'm going to be glassing fast and quick and trying to be, you know, trying to just spot deer, um, panning back left and right, left and right, but then moving and panning left and right on, on different ridges. And then as the day uh, moves forward and you start getting those shade pockets, that's when I'm going to slow down. I'm going to really start focusing and really slow down and be looking behind every bush and every rock and every tree. And, you know, trying to make any sort of, you know, the white belly of a deer or the inside of the leg, how they're white. Um, and just try and, you know, slow down and, and do some real detailed glassing. Uh, Phil? Just curious if you have anything or any last minute of advice for people out there with these great, you know, December tags uh, coming up here over the next three weeks. I I would say more than anything, enjoy it. Um, From what I've seen, the antler growth is good. Uh, You know, I I haven't seen any ill effects of the weather that we had throughout the summer. Um, I expect there's going to be some giants get killed. Um, you know, these, these late tags, I don't want to call them rut tags because I don't believe that's what they are, but the late tags have so many benefits that we spoke about earlier. They're, they're a thing to really cherish and enjoy your time in the woods. Number one, with less people out there chasing the same deer that you are, um, typically the deer have kind of calmed down from the last hunt. They have a little bit of a break there before you get back after them. The days are cooler. It's a great time to be out and outdoors in Arizona. Um, you know, set your goal and, and hunt to your goal. Um, you know, whether that be a, a 80 inch buck, a 90 inch buck or a hundred inch buck. Um, I think they're all achievable in just about any of the units out there. And, uh, 
you know, just enjoy the tag because they're hard to come by. That's, yeah. that's the advice I'd give for sure. And my last bit of advice um, would be some of the best coos deer hunters that I know, it's real easy for people to say, oh, well, so-and-so, he killed a big buck. And, oh, did you see the buck so-and-so killed? And Just remember that the guys that are killing these big bucks, they are grinding and they are suffering and they are, they got the sun in their face and the sun's beating them down and they're going, you know, sessions and not seeing their buck and they're not seeing deer and they're fighting and, you know, fighting through cat claw. The guys that continually kill big bucks are the guys that grind it out, the guys that stick it out, the guys that when they have two or three days of tough glassing, they just keep going. And so the advice I would give you is just if you're really um, if you're really persistent and you really want to kill a big deer over and over and over, the, the guys that I know that do it the most are the guys that are the most diligent, the most persistent, and they they just put get a chip on their shoulder that they are going to be successful and they are going to find what they're looking for and you know viciously go after. Uh, the mountain and and you know they never give up they're never you know hiking back in the daylight they're always using their headlamp in and headlamp out and if you can do that you know consistently enough over a span of you know 20 30 40 years you're going to have a bunch of big coos deer to your belt so uh, guys I really appreciate you guys listening to this podcast I want to encourage you if if you have a uh, you know you you have a hankering to want to go down to Mexico and hunt coos deer both Phil and I uh, do coos deer hunts feel free to reach out to us we'd be happy to talk to you about what we've got going down in in mexico phil i can't believe it but i it's going to be my 25th season uh this year going down in january for coos and um i'm i'm really really looking forward to uh this season and and uh, it's always around this time of year after sheep season i really start yearning for uh, wanting to get down and and really get after the coos deer i know you're you're anxious as well Oh, 100%, Jay. And and one thing for the guys in Arizona that their hunt starts here Friday is, you know, it, it's basically a three-week hunt, and you have quite a bit of time, and, and uh, you know, I, I think if a guy can, can basically plan his schedule a little bit, you can go out and have a great hunt and potentially kill a really big buck. Right on, buddy. Thanks for coming on and uh, sharing your time with us. And uh, guys, uh, send us some pictures on Instagram. Uh, J. Scott Outdoors on Instagram. Uh, Phil is Kramer Hunts with a C. Kramer Hunts on Instagram. Uh, love to see your success stories. It's always rewarding uh, for me, speaking personally, uh, to get uh, testimonial about how something uh, that we've talked about with some of our great guests like Phil uh, how you've picked up a tip and it helped you uh, harvest an animal. So stay in touch. Uh, God bless to all of you guys and uh, knock down a big one.